Well, we have the opportunity today to, to tackle maybe one more standalone, if you will. I know we've been doing that mostly for this month since we finished last P, uh, First Peter um, last month. So I want to give you a heads up of what's coming starting in September. We're starting a new sermon series called Conversations with Jesus. And it's going to be based out of the book of John. And when, as we look at that, we'll start off with chapter 1, and we're just going to highlight some of the key conversations that are recorded in the book of John that Jesus had with people. And through those conversations, we'll see spiritual truths. We'll see him challenging um, some of the, uh, the biases of the day, if you will. Uh, we'll see incredible um, grace that gets extended, and we'll see some key conversations that reveal not only the heart of God, but the heart of man. And so again, this will start uh, the first Sunday of September, and actually going to run us through almost to Thanksgiving. And so with that, I just encourage you maybe in your quiet times to begin reading through the book of John, um, be soaking that in, be reading that through. There's some great great conversations that we'll look at. And actually next week, I believe Ray is going to kick off um, the series out of John 1. Uh, That one will be probably less looking at conversation and more about who we're having the conversation with and who is Jesus. So that begins uh, the first Sunday of September. Um, That leaves us today. That leaves us with the last weekend, the last Sunday of August And as I was praying through and kind of putting together the schedule for August, there was a topic that we've spoken to a bit. Uh, We haven't really uncovered with Scripture yet, um, but I wanted to give it some voice. And that is uh, something very relevant for our times, and that is uh, racial reconciliation. And um, I'll I'll be be honest with you— I'm nervous, right? It's a big topic. There's a lot going on. Um, so before we dive in, I'm going to pray real quick um, and invite you to pray in with me. And then we're going to jump into um, the scripture for today. Heavenly Father, I pray. I pray you, by the power of your spirit, bring your living word to life. Challenge our hearts. Challenge our biases, our beliefs, and I pray that we are pliable as clay in the hands of the potter. Give me your words to speak and your words only, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to what, I, what I've called a portrait of, of racial um, reconciliation, a tearing down hostility. And as I thought about this, right, there's so much racial tension, especially between the white and the black communities that are going on today. But in this nation, it's been going on for a long time, almost all the way back to the beginning. And so there's a very real tension that as we've been watching the news, we've been seeing things happen in our time. The things going on are, are I think, just still the tip of the iceberg, And so I want to look at that. I want to look at maybe what does some scripture have to say to challenge us and to talk about that. And as I thought about that, I thought, well, um, you know, when it comes to to race and some of these things, we have as a nation some of the best laws on the books for equality. And I've had that conversation with many people. 
But here's where I, I believe I go with that. You, we can have the best laws on the books, but understand that it's still laws that come from broken people in a broken system, in a broken society that are still not reconciled to God. And we can have these laws in place, but if the heart of the people aren't in tune with the law, there's a disconnect. And as I thought about that, and, and laws are good and they're right and they're needed for justice, but I, I thought about this example, and I'm going to argue from the negative for the positive. Like, I wish we had laws in place that outlawed stealing, breaking and entering. Like, if we had laws that said that's illegal, wouldn't that be awesome? You see, because last September, my house got broken into, heirlooms and irreplaceable things got stolen. And I wonder if we only had laws, if there was only some law in place that said you can't do that. And maybe it's a moral issue. So I wonder, like, I just wish that God maybe would have put together some list of laws. Maybe there was a top 10 list because we have 10 fingers and we can memorize it in some way. Some way we can just keep some sense of right living in our minds. Like I wish there was like maybe 10 commandments that might have said thou shalt not steal. If only there was such law, such commandment, then my house wouldn't have been broken into my original wedding ring I would still possess, amongst other things. But, but there are laws. But again, having the law and laws in place that may or may not be the best laws, but the laws in place do not guarantee that the heart of the people are in line with the laws. But hear me, the laws are good. But it's a heart issue. And so with today's scripture that I want to have us look at, I believe it has a one-to-one correlation, maybe not exactly, but there's enough there for us to leverage, to take a look at, to, to put these principles into place for today with what's going on real time in the midst of our culture. And the reality is back in the day of Jesus in the New Testament, the, the black-white issue of the day was Jew-Gentile. Jew, right? The people of God and Gentile, all the other nations. Every color, every tongue, every tribe that wasn't Jewish. They were Gentile. And that wall of division was strong. That hatred was real. That prejudice, that bias was unmistakable. And so as I think about that and what we're going to look at, and I think about today, you know, sometimes I struggle, right? Maybe over the last several years, however long you've been here at Cedars, you're getting to know a little bit about me, is when it comes to significant things, I like to fix them. And as I look at this issue, I, I, I sit there and I struggle, like, how do we really fix this? Right? I get tired of Band-Aids. I'm like, shouldn't we just pull out the sutures? Shouldn't we get to the core? How do we do that? And as I sit there and watch the news or have conversations, I'm going to be honest with you, I get overwhelmed. Because what is it going to take? Not to run for president? Like, what will it take? What will it take? And that's where I get overwhelmed. But then what brings me back from that 
overwhelmed state of thinking about it to practical reality is, you know, as we've said from the very get-go, we call it our inner circle. There's a sphere of influence that I have, that you have, that we all have of people, and especially living here in the Bay Area, of, from so many countries and backgrounds. And that's where I start. Right? I, can't, I, can't, I might not be able to solve the whole puzzle, but, but I can look at the piece that I am in and have a heartfelt conversation with myself and my loving my neighbor like God calls me to. Especially those neighbors who are different from me. And so that's what I, I think about in the midst of this. And as I was doing my studies for this topic the last couple of weeks, I've been in on a number of live roundtable discussions with pastors, black and white, around the nation, um, and different backgrounds who, who are talking about this topic. And there's one such pastor and author and speaker. His name is Brian Loritz. And uh, two weeks ago, we were on a a roundtable talk together, and I was listening to him and taking some notes. And he pointed out something I thought was very interesting. Right? Again, this might not be this biblical, but, but we'll see if it is as we go on. But this idea of activists versus reconcilers. And the point that he was making as an African-American black pastor in America, <clears throat> that activists tend to care more about the what and are issue-driven. And they, and they seem to stay at that realm of, of about the issue and the what, which is important. But from his studies and from looking at the, the decades since Martin Luther King, right, it, it seems that there's been many of activists. But again, how do we get down to that real change level? And he said that's the difference between activists and reconcilers. Right? Reconcilers, he said, they care about the how and the who. For reconcilers, it's about the relationship. They're people-driven. So they start at the activist level, and they understand the issue, and then they move it down into the relational realm that can make a difference. And so he spoke to that backdrop, and I thought that was interesting. And then as I thought and thought more about that, I thought, what were some examples of Jesus exposing the bias and exposing the prejudice of his day? Right, and some of these on this list actually will fall into the book of John, and we will uncover those greater as we go through. But this was just a quick list I came up with. It's probably not comprehensive. But, but Jesus ate with the tax collectors and sinners. Right, he broke through the stereotype barriers of, of who was acceptable and who was not acceptable in his day. And he was called out for it. Or the Samaritan woman at the well. We'll cover that. We'll cover that in the, in the, in the series coming up. But, but in the very beginning of that story, he says, and he had to go through Samaria. Did he? We had to go through Samaria because nobody else was. And certainly not anybody that was a reconciler was going through Samaria. Or the prostitute who was wiping Jesus' feet, weeping with her tears and wiping them up with her hair. And the judgment, if you knew who this was, touching you. Or the woman caught in adultery. Or the woman with bleeding issues. Are you a prophet? You, you let a, a, a woman touch you? 
who was unclean? Totally not acceptable in that day. Right? He called out the religious elite leaders and he had strong words for them because they should have known. And Pilate and the Roman overlords, I think it is trumped up charges in the interaction with him and Pilate. What is truth? So you're a king. Huh. There's no king but Caesar. But still willing to have the conversation, well, forced to have that conversation at that time in that place. Or the parable we call the Good Samaritan. That's, that parable is so steeped, so steeped in racial overtones. Or the man in Decapolis, right? When they, he and his disciples get in a boat and set, sea, set sail to the other side of the sea, and there's a man named Legion because he's so possessed by demons. And Jesus does a miraculous work in the foreign land and sets this young man free as probably the first missionary sent to his own people. But Jesus, he modeled what it looks like to expose bias, to call it out, to break through for the sake of peace and the kingdom. And so with that as a backdrop, I want to have us run through a a scripture today out of Ephesians chapter 2. And as we look at this, again, it starts with this word therefore, right? So whenever you have therefore, you need to understand what came first. And we don't have time to go through that. But know that chapter 2, 1 through 10 Paul is writing about what, what I would call, and others would call, vertical reconciliation. He says, as for you, right, you were dead in your transgressions, but you were made alive in Christ. And so those first 10 verses deal with how God broke through the barrier of hostility to us when we didn't deserve it. And he made a way of access for us to him so that we as individuals could be reconciled vertically to God. And then out of that vertical reconciliation, we're going to look at now is what I would say is horizontal reconciliation. That as we are now reconciled to God, we are called to be reconciled to other people. And of course, it's dependent on the reconciliation that is vertical between us and God. And so Paul starts off this section. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth... And called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised. Which is done in the human body by human hands. Right? Straight from the get-go, Paul's using some language of the day that people would have used in a derogatory way. Right? The people who consider themselves the people of God and circumcised would look down on the Gentiles and have this word, the uncircumcised. You're not worthy. You're less than. But then Paul, at the end of that verse, he challenges them. He says, you you have this circumcision, but it's circumcision that's done by the hand. Because he knew that a lot of those people did not have the circumcision of the heart. Which is what Jesus came and did in his earthly mission. In fact, so much so, Paul would use that phrase when he wrote to the church in Rome. And he would call out that issue that it's a matter of the heart. And your heart has to be circumcised by Christ. 
Romans 2.29. But therefore, remember that you formerly, formerly, and then he goes on, remember that at a time, at a time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Right? They didn't have a way to connect to, to God like the Israelites did. They didn't have that revelation. They didn't have that relationship. They were, in some ways, excluded or far away. And even the temple of that day before it was destroyed was set up that way, right? There was the Holy of Holies and then the curtain and then the room that the priest would be in. And then after that, the, the courtyard of kind of the common Israelite. And then, with the, then beyond that, the courtyard for the woman. And then beyond that was the courtyard of the Gentile. Like they were so far removed from the Holy of Holies. But what I love about the fact that there was still the courtyard of the Gentiles that speaks to the promise. That speaks to the promise that there would come a time that they would be included. See, the prophets covered that. David covered that. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 in the call of Abraham and the covenant with him that, that God said, I will make you into a great nation. And by you and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And I even take it back to what Wayne said a few weeks ago, um, back in Genesis, uh, was it chapter 3, right? When he's talking, when he was talking about Jesus or God having a conversation with the serpent. Yes, there's a day you're going to bite his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And the promise for provision was set from day one. And then here comes Abraham, a friend, faithful friend of God. And God says, I'm going to bless you, but you will be a blessing to all the nations. Because from your seed will come the one who will be my son. And while there was a special relationship with Israel and God, the promise was for a day to come where that would be former. That there would be access. All the nations setting up the highways and byways to God to come. And so that's what Paul's writing about here formerly. Remember that time before Christ when you didn't have. But now. But now. But now everything has changed. Everything can change. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, without access, without knowledge, without revelation, without relationship, when you were far away, you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You're no longer excluded. You're no longer far away. You've been brought near by Christ himself, the promised one from the very beginning. And I think about that. This idea by the blood of Christ, right? That's so rich with the sacrifice of the cross. The price that was paid. That's part of what Paul is covering in then verses 1 through 2 that we didn't look at. I challenge you to go back um, after this and read those 10 verses. But sacrifice. The work of reconciliation costs. The work of reconciliation costs. 
costs. It costs God his son, who did a work that we could not do. But he sent, he set an example of what it looks like to give and to live with sacrifice. Intentionally, on purpose. But it costs. And with reconciliation, maybe that cost for us is a cost of comfort. A cost of time. Of pride and humility. Of serving and loving. Maybe some confession and forgiveness. But if we're going to be serious people who seriously reconcile, we're going to have to seriously pay a price. I believe that. But now, you are far away. You've been brought near because of Christ. And as I thought about that, I, I thought of a story out of Acts chapter 10. Maybe you're familiar with the story. Maybe you're not. But I'll, I'll set the stage, right? In, in Acts, right, the Holy Spirit has come and the, and, and the church is starting to gain some momentum. And then we have Peter. I love how some of these things happen in the life of Peter. But here's pre- Peter one day praying as he would do throughout the day. And here he is praying in this one city, but there was a, a, a centurion guard of the Italian regiment in a faraway city. The scripture says in chapter 10 of Acts that he was a God-fearing man. He gave generously. He loved people. And one day he had a, a visitor, an angel, that, come, that came and said, hey, send your men to the city for this guy named Peter, Simon. He'll come and he'll tell you things that you need to hear. And so when that conversation is going on in this town far away, Peter's praying as he would throughout the day. And as he wakes up or he's in this trance, he's in this deep prayer, he has this vision of this sheet that's laid out with all kinds of unclean food. And a voice of heaven says, take and eat. And he says, no, I'm a good Jewish boy. I would never eat that. And three times this vision comes, but God says, God says, do not call unclean. What I have made clean. And shortly after this conversation he's having with God in this vision, there's this knock on the door. And these men that came from Cornelius to say, hey, our master sent you to come. And Peter knew he was supposed to go. And now fast forward, he's made the trip. And in Acts 10, starting in verse 33, um, it says this. He says this. So I went. For you, I sent for you immediately, right? Cornelius says this. I sent for you. And it was good of you to come. And now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. He gathered what would I think become his home church. The people of his family, the people that he had influence over, gathered them together in his living room to hear the words that Peter would bring from God. And then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. That God does not show favoritism. Yes, he had a special people for a special time, but now those gates have been flung and they're being flung wide open to include all the nations. For he doesn't have a favoritism of one. I, I would even push back on this in, a, in an agreement way, right? 
This favoritism is humanity. Right? If we were to look at uh, Revelation, I believe it's chapter 7, there's a picture of around the throne of God. It says that there were people from every tongue, tribe, and nation singing praise to God. And as a missionary, as a, as a uh, cultural anthropologist, right, for me, that's the blueprint. That is the blueprint that there are people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, or in our language of today, every color. For God doesn't show favoritism against one. He shows a favor toward all of humanity that bear his image. And so he's done something about that. He's doing something about that. And he's calling us to join in that same work. Not only that, but he accepts everyone from every nation who fears him, who does what is right, who, who comes to him in faith. And you know the message of God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Right? The heart of the gospel, Peter brings that. And this house comes to faith in Christ through the word of Peter miraculously. But here, Gentiles coming to faith in the very beginning of the church and its expansion. And so back to... Our scripture for today, this idea of peace. Right? Paul continued on in the letter that we're looking at. For he, Jesus himself, is peace. He's our peace who made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And don't you see that on the news? That somehow that wall in so many places is still there. This barrier that we as people still have up between peoples, between black and white, or, or maybe in California, right, white and Hispanic. Or look back in the 1900s, um, the, the white and the Japanese with internment camps. We've done such a good job of segregating, of outcasting, of looking down on people. When we're supposed to be divided, we're supposed to be breaking down the walls that divide and the barriers of hostility. We're supposed to be tearing those down, not building them up. And certainly not just letting them lie. For he, Christ himself, is the peace. And what did that peace do? He makes two groups become one and he destroys barriers and he tears down walls of hostility. That's a picture of peace. How many years at Christmas do we sing peace on earth? And then the chaos starts back up January 2nd or 3rd. It doesn't take long. Probably because most people are still hung over and it takes them a while to get back up into their natural positions. Peace on earth has come. Through Christ Jesus and we, the church, his family, his people, we. We have knowledge of that peace. We have a call to be peace people. And so we have this so real in the day. To turn on the news tonight, you will see this, unfortunately. This hostility, these walls that divide. And then Paul goes on. He said, by setting aside or abolishing in the flesh the law with its, with its commands and regulations. 
He's doing a new thing. He's fulfilling what the Jews couldn't do. He's taking care of everything that they couldn't do. And now he's coming in to instill a new covenant, a new relationship. Not just with Jewish people, but all the Gentile nations of the world. Peace. Walls broken down. Hostility stilled. And his purpose. Like, do you ever wonder, like, God... Look at how chaotic our times are. What in the world are you doing? Are you even there? Yes. And not only there is he's not there in accident. He's there on purpose, with a purpose, doing something very specific. The ministry of reconciliation. Allowing for that vertical to happen, but equipping his people to go and do likewise. Purpose was to create for himself one new humanity out of two. The God of creation. The God of variety. Right? I think about that. When God was creating, right? Um, and he created, maybe the first flower was a rose. A red rose, right? A rose by any other name is still a rose. Right? And it was so good that he thought this might get stolen. Because what laws are there about thievery, right? Just kidding. And he put thorns on the, on the stem, right? So nobody would steal the rose, right? But, but he didn't stop there. Right? He went from the, the red rose maybe to all the colors of the roses. And he said, hey, roses, what about lilies of the valley? What about golden poppies for California? Hydrangeas with their colors. Daisies. Gerber daisies, my wife's favorite. And flowers I don't even know the names of. That one flower I always smell in Hawaii that I forget the name, but it's so fragrant that if you were to blindfold me and to send me in exile to Hawaii, (laughs) by the smell, by the fragrance, I would know. God's creating so many things diverse and unique and special unto themselves. You think that didn't go into humanity as well? The one creation that bears the image of God, Imago Dei, the image of God. That God would just think one when there's so much rich variety. And then he made a way so that all of the colors, black, white, brown, whatever we call them, all the the nations, the tongues, the tribes, the peoples, the ethnos, can come to him. And taking two into one. And and I thought about that. Of course, you know me. I I thought about it from a mathematical equation because... Um, I struggle with language sometimes, as you can tell, right? Because right, I mean, in elementary school, when they started to tell me the rules, and like, but there's exceptions, like I before E, except after C, and all these things, and, and, uh, and uh, silent letters, like, what, what is that, right? So I, I'm like, I'm not a language person per se. I'm like, give me the numbers, because one plus one always equals two, right? Except for in, sometimes in God's economy, right? One plus one, one Different humanity with one other different humanity equaled one new humanity. 
Right? How does that work? Because one plus one equals two. He says, no, one plus one equals one. New. And you're like, God, maybe you forget how math is done. He's like, no, maybe you forget how math is done. Let's go back to Genesis. That the husband and the wife would leave their households and come together and be united as one flesh. See, God is not limited by our limitations. God can do the new math like old. One plus one equals one. Right? And he, and he does this making one out of two, not by, uh, not by subtraction, but by addition. Like only God can do. Because he's broken down the walls that divide. He's tearing down those barriers. He's making a way that, that one radically different from one radically different can come together in peace and become a brand new one. And that's the backdrop that we're talking about today. This new math. And in that new math then is this verse 16. That in one body his. To reconcile both of them. The Jew Gentile. The black white. That whatever the divisions are. To reconcile. To make right of them to God through the cross. By which he put to death their hostility, right? That hostility and those, those lines or those walls that divide, they were paid for on the cross. They're meant to be paid for 2,000 plus years ago, but yet they still exist. They still get built because the world still needs to understand and hear about the reconciling of God through peace for each person to him that is available through Christ. But he already tore those down. He put these barriers to rest, to death, by the work of the cross. And then the, this idea of reconciliation, right? means to, to, to make peace, right? To make peace between two differing opinions, two differing people. Isn't that what the world needs today? And I'm going to be honest. I'm not, I'm, I'm not political. I'm not, I, think I watch the news sometimes. <laughs> it's so sad. I don't watch it often anymore. But I've watched it the last couple of weeks. You know, I, I have not heard the word reconciliation coming on the channel that I watch. Maybe it's my channel's wrong. But it doesn't seem to be a word that is spoken of, let alone being lived out. And not just on the news, but in places where people might see. It doesn't seem to be the prevailing action. Yes, the voice needs to be heard. People that are lamenting need to be heard. And, and I, I think about that. Back in Genesis, coming into Exodus, right? In Exodus, how many years, centuries... Did the people of Israel cry out before Moses came? And God heard. But there was a long time from Joseph to Moses. A people being enslaved, crying out in oppression. And does anybody hear? Where is our deliverer? And humanity's been calling out for the same thing. And the deliverer came 2,000 years ago. His name is Jesus. 
And today, people are being killed. People are being um, put down. People are being oppressed. And they may not know yet the name of Jesus. But you know what? We do. Don't we know the name of Jesus and the power of the cross? And Paul says, when he wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians, and we've talked about this in Cedars at least twice. I preached it once. I'm sure Jeff did. And I would dare bet Joel touched it. That God has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. For God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ. See, before that reconciliation, he says that we used to think from a worldly perspective. And why not? Because that's what we knew. But then when we were reconciled, when we heard the good news, like Peter going to the house of Cornelius, and he knew the truth. And he gave his life. It doesn't say how he lived his life afterwards, but if he was already living as a God-fearing Italian, loving people, being generous, I, I, have to admit, I have to believe that being empowered by the Holy Spirit, he did that much more. Jesus was reconciling both who were hostile to each other, reconciling them to each other and to God. And he came and he preached. He preached peace. A message of peace to those who were far away, the Gentile, and those who were near the Jew. And as we'll probably see next week from Ray in, in John chapter 1, right? He, he came to that which was his own, but they shut the door on him. They rejected him. And so he went to find people that would believe in him. And he called them his children. But he came and he preached peace to you and to me who were far away. I was far away until I understood this message and I gave my life. It's what he did for us. Regardless if we're closer to the message or further away, he came and he preached peace. In that scripture section that we didn't read, I want to do want to highlight a couple of verses, right? That just fills in part of the picture. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, so no one can boast. Right? This reconciliation, this being made right, this peace that we have, didn't come from us. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't build it. I couldn't perform it. I couldn't do anything about it other than receive it as a free gift, and I had to receive it. And open it up and accept it. It's the work that he did. Again, read those, t- those 10 verses on your own. But, and as I thought about that just a little bit further in Galatians to make this point. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. That is the access point that Paul hammers throughout all of his letters through faith. Salvation through faith is the access point, the way to God. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. And what he's tackling here is it, it, it doesn't matter where you fit in the structure of the society. That when it comes to coming to Christ, there is equality amongst the people. 
There's not a preference for one over the other. Both peoples have the opportunity through faith to come to him. It's not restricted. It's not limited. He doesn't show favoritism. He loves humanity. And that's what he's creating, a new humanity. So if you belong to Christ, then, then, then you are Abraham's seed, right? His true child and heir to the promise. That's what it took. Jesus had that conversation with people who thought they were Abraham's children, right? He said, if you're Abraham's children, you would know who I am, but you don't. Your father is the devil who's a liar, who builds walls, who stokes hostility. That guy. And the gospel, which is justice rich, it's just dripping with, with justice. The enemy will have his day, right? We saw that when Wayne preached. But now, this day, this time is still the day of reconciliation and peace. And then back to our, our text to, to round it out. For through him, both, both Gentile and Jew, Every nation, every people have access to God the Father by one spirit. And consequently, you're no longer foreigners or strangers. And listen, he's going to use two metaphors here to show who we become. This new humanity that he's created in Christ. But we become fellow citizens with God's people. We have a citizenship. We have the passport of heaven that comes through faith. And then he switches gears here. He says, and you're members of the household. You're members of the household. You're part of the family and part of the household. And you're being built on a foundation. You're the family of God. You're the people of God. And now you, like we talked about in 1 Peter chapter 2, you're those living stones. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone, right? He dictates all of the terms, Christ, who's the cornerstone. And we touched on that. I touched on that with you. And he laid a foundation through the apostles and the prophets of that day that were attached to him as the foundation for faith. And we're being built like living stones on top of that. The family of God being built as living stones. We're being built on a foundation. One foundation that can fit the whole building. And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. We're the temple of the Lord. And dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Together being built. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. That as we're being built on the building, we're also being co-joined with other blocks, other, other stones that have been quarried out, that have been hewn out and just been recreated and fit uniquely in each spot, each person being built into the house of God. Regardless of our background, regardless of our, our race, regardless of, of our color, 
He's building one new humanity out of the two, Jew and Gentile, and then the Gentile out of the many. But we have to find a way to get past those barriers, break through those walls and those bias and prejudice. And as I thought about that in closing, I, I did think of a story. It's not, a, it's not black and white, but it, it fits, right? It's, there's a list on our State Department website of countries that are still hostile to us, enemies of the state. And in the early 2000s, 2001, God put on my heart the island country of Cuba, which is on that list. I said, I I want you to begin a ministry in Cuba, of which I would go many a times over a 15-year-plus period. And I remember I I did it legally through through the means there. I did get permission, a license to travel there, and so forth. But I would sit with many Cubans, right, that didn't know, especially the places I went, didn't know too many Americans. Why? Why do you come here? Right? I mean, our countries are still at war, right, with this embargo, but you come. Why? I'm like, well, because God told me to. And I would come year after year with teams to serve them. Not to come and lord over them, not to change them, but to ask them, how can I serve you? How can my team serve you? How can we help you? And oftentimes, it really was this posture of just coming and sitting alongside of them and listening Hearing them lament, identifying them with them, and sitting in solidarity, letting them know you're not alone. And every time I had to leave, I would say, Lord willing, I'll be back. And I wonder, is this what it's going to take for today? For us to to push through those barriers that may still be there to hear. To hear the individual cries of the heart. Not the chaos on the news, but to break those people down maybe to one at a time to your story. And I, I remember talking with a friend. Right, he's African-American. He's, he's a buddy of mine down in San Jose. And then listening to him have to tell, like, he equips his sons on how to act if you get pulled over. I instructed my daughters, right, for safety, but I didn't didn't have to have that level of conversation. And he's a believer. And as I heard him speak, I I wept. And I sit with him. I hear him. He knows I love him. I, I speak encouragement to him. He challenges me in my running. But these walls... These barriers that are built, that have yet to be torn down, I'm convinced the only way that that can be done is through the blood of Jesus and through the peace that he brings. And he calls his people to be reconcilers. And so as I think back in that, that bigger picture and not being overwhelmed by such a huge task that as I look in my inner circle, I look where God has placed me on purpose then my question for myself, which I would challenge you as well, is am I living and am I loving the people around me regardless for the sake of the kingdom?
God, I thank you. I thank you that you, you modeled this so well. In Philippians 2 language, right? You stepped out of heaven and you came to earth. You crossed the biggest threshold of hostility there is for peace, for reconciliation. God, I thank you that you saw fit that I could hear this message, that we at Cedars could know that message, that the church in the Tri-Valley and Tri-Cities area in California, in America, and all throughout the world where there are divisions, God, that we, your people, would lead as your ambassadors with Ministry of Reconciliation and go. That we would listen we would lament, and we would love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, that, that work, that work that was accomplished on the cross that we celebrate in communion. Right, time and time again, being remembered of the sacrificial love God had and has for humanity. And then we who are the family as we celebrate, as you're about to celebrate, right, the bread, taking common bread. I don't know what bread they had then. I know what bread we use. But then again, that diversity, whatever represents that bread, represents one thing, the body that was given to make peace. Right and after that meal, he, he took the cup, ordinary that they would have all the time, Right? I don't know what varietal of fruit juice was in there at that moment. Blood of the new covenant. A new covenant that would be for all people. For all races. And they celebrate it. And we celebrate until he returns. And sometimes I celebrate uniquely that knowing that he's patient, not wanting people to perish, Second Peter, but with that picture of revelation in my mind that there comes a day when people from every tongue, tribe, and nation around the throne of God. Maybe you've seen some of those YouTube um, videos of the song The Blessing, different people, different ethnicities singing it. Maybe that's a foretaste of of what I'm thinking in my mind of revelation, but it can only be made possible by the work of the cross and proof when he raised himself from the dead that he is who he said he is. Take your time of communion now and then we'll enter into worship and God bless you.